the Owlcast, the official podcast of ACS Athens. Listen to the exciting story of the American Community Schools of Athens. Check out what drives all the members of our international community of learners as we create the education of the future. Here's John Papadakis. Welcome to another episode of the Outcast. Today we are digging a little deeper into the discussion of artificial intelligence and the emergence of superintelligence and its role in redefining, promoting, or undermining fundamental elements of our global civilization. It is more than evident through the centuries that whenever the human spirit takes a turn towards the unexpected or undiscovered, humanity always finds a way to go back to the roots of history, philosophy, art, and science in order to draw inspiration, strength, but mostly perspective into what lies ahead. This is a perpetual effort, and it brought the Renaissance, the French and American revolutions, the 20th century social and industrial revolutions, and now the technological evolution and revolution of artificial intelligence. ACS Athens Languages, Humanities and Theatre curriculum regularly return to teaching and learning paradigms through which students are empowered and inspired to gain knowledge of the world and of themselves. One of those paradigms is the latest performance of Oedipus in our theatre that was followed by numerous Socratic seminars in many classrooms. The entire school became a stage for conversation and debate, facilitating the ideal project-based learning through inquiry, research, and performance. Today, we are talking with Ms. Sofia Thanopoulou, drama faculty of our academy, and Dr. Evangelos Siropoulos, English language faculty in the academy and division chair of language and literature of ACS Athens. With Dr. Siropoulos and Ms. Thanopoulou today, we discuss... Oedipus and AI, exploring the limits and dangers of knowledge. Theater and the civic experience in the context of the community of the time. Revisiting the ancient Greek way of thinking as a shield against modern existential threats. The impact on students of having to co-create an ancient Greek theater production. Conscious citizenship through theater. The difference between transhumanism and posthumanism and the way of the Socratic Seminar in creating knowledge through free and open discussion. This week, we were invited to see the first ever Oedipus Fest that took place in the theater and in classrooms around the school. We know Oedipus to be one of the greatest theater trilogies of the classical antiquity, but also an inspiration for thespians through the centuries, especially in Greece. Oedipus is regularly staged in theaters around the country, either in its original form, but also in countless other reenactments or renditions. In our school also, it's a staple for our humanities and theater curriculum through the years. But I think this year we did it a little differently. Why Oedipus calls for such a festival? Hmm. Should I start? 
Absolutely. <laughs> okay. Well, the whole idea first is that um, Oedipus is taught in so many classes concurrently. Uh, I be lit, I be lang and lit, both year one, I be theater year one, and of course we do it now in the perspectives in literature class. And the thing, the inspiration is that this is a play about knowledge, about the limits of knowledge, about the dangers of knowledge. So. Could we connect it with AI, which was one of the prerequisites that we had for this year? We saw that on the stage. There yes. was uh, the connection between AI and CC, and I want to talk about both. Okay. Uh, so that was the first thing we thought about. Can, can we connect Oedipus to AI and CC? Because if it is a play about knowledge, then of course we face many challenges regarding knowledge nowadays. And for those that are outside the school, AI is artificial intelligence and CC is conscious, conscious citizenship. citizenship. And of course, if there are dangers regarding knowledge and the application of knowledge, especially as we approach the so-called technological singularity and the creation of superintelligence, what does that mean for us as conscious, global conscious citizens? So these were two questions that structured our, our approach, the staging of the play, and of course the Socratic seminars as well. Mm -hmm. And there is a reason why we combine the performance with the Socratic seminars, and it has to do with ancient Greece, and it has to do with Sophocles, and here I think Mr. Anopoulou is the expert <laughs> how we brought the two experiences yeah, together. Yeah, especially the issue of the Socratic seminars. Exactly, yes. Absolutely, like Evan said, uh, this is the first text and it's not only the first text we approach as literature and theater classes in the beginning of the first year of the IB, uh, being the first unit, uh, but it's also the first text of literature that serves as an iconic piece, as a model, uh, after which we uh, define tragedy and the birth of Western theater, and with it, big part of Western civilization. It is as big um, as you want it to be, as open as you can open it up. And uh, we felt artificial intelligence opens the door to the big philosophical questions of this century. Oedipus Rex has the door open for the biggest philosophical questions uh, of the past two and a half thousand years. Mm -hmm. There's no question that cannot be asked through through this text. And answered through the whole play. And answered through the whole play. And of course, then we started thinking about the whole experience of ancient Greek drama, ancient Greek theater, because it was not just entertainment. It exactly. was my duty as a citizen to go and attend what Sophocles has to say about knowledge in the beginning of the Peloponnesian War, okay, and uh, about leadership in Athens, and then discuss all these things the next day or even the same day. And that's uh, how the idea of the Socratic seminars uh, came, about. came about. Because we watch the performance and then we have to discuss what is this performance about? Which are the big questions that are being uh, raised here? The good thing with the Socratic seminars is that we were prepared in class as well, because if the play is all about knowledge, then we can have this approach in class as well. We have to approach the play from this uh, uh, perspective. So we did that in I Be Lit and in I Be Lang and Lit. And also then we had the collaboration of the theory of knowledge uh, teachers in IB. They reinforced the same questions in the uh, theory of knowledge classes. And of course, all of these things came together and the students were very well prepared to yeah. deal with these very demanding philosophical, existential and epistemological questions. If I can pick it up from there, exactly what you said, mm. um, we make a very big deal in theater, at least about 
theater in the context of uh, the community of the time and as a civic experience. Mm -hmm. And we talk a lot about those myths are known to everyone. Those questions have been posed to their audiences long before the reenactment of the play. This was the case. That was, a, that was the case here. Those questions were posed to mm -hmm. the audience, but long before. Audience spectatorship is, an, is a civic act in ancient Greece. It is the moment where community combines, gets together, sits rubbing shoulders in a 15,000-seater under the blazing sun of Athens in, in early May, and they've been waiting for this experience all year long. And, and as they come together and witness the fall of a great individual from um, a state of prosperity to his full self-knowledge, yes, exactly, is a, is a civic act. So this is an opportunity for Greek audiences, Athenian audiences of the time to learn not only about themselves, about how to be with one another in community. That was the reason we felt that live performance makes the very point of bringing citizenship into the theater room, especially after three years where we've been denied the pleasure of rubbing shoulders with one another and sharing energies. So if I go back to the uh, premise uh, of uh, you taking an idea from ancient Greece mm -hmm. and bringing it to the modern times, do you see these people uh, 2,500 years ago go through the same process that we're trying to do so what with our discussing? students? Yes. Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. Uh, one thing that is shocking, and we were discussing this with Sophia yesterday and with the students in class, is that the basic, fundamental existential and social questions that we have right now are exactly the same with the questions that they had in 5th century BC Athens. And this is something the inspiration came from Ms. Carla Tanas, the dean of the institute, because uh, in all the meetings that we had the last year about artificial intelligence and conscious citizenship with the faculty, what she was stressing is that AI, artificial intelligence, brings back all the vital philosophical questions of Western civilization. To a certain extent, we all think that if we reach the point of superintelligence and technological singularity, then maybe the very foundations of Western metaphysics, Western philosophy, they're going to be undermined. What is the division between subject and object? It doesn't exist probably anymore if we reach that point, if we merge with the object. What is an object and what is a subject? So it's not only that these questions are relevant, maybe it's the last time in our history <laughs> As a civilization, as we conceive it, that we may be asking these questions. Maybe the time came to ask uh, other kind of questions. So I think it's a, uh, all comes full circle from we're Sophocles close, to us. We're close to point zero to point in this zero. discussion. And it was an interesting quote uh, by one of the students in uh, mm -hmm. the outcomes of the Socratic seminar discussions that quoted, I think, Stephen Hawking, it was that AI might as well be the last human yes. invention. Yes. Um, I think not only such questions call for a revisit of the classical Greeks, but it makes it absolutely mandatory that we look back and reinterpret mm -hmm. um, the big questions posed back then. Uh, I think that we went to the root of the whole thing in our first question. <laughs> so I, I'm really waiting to see where is that going to go. We're well prepared. <laughs> But, um, you know, the Academy principal, David Nelson, put it, uh, I think was best after the festival. He said, I'm even more impressed with the students who who they put in the forefront, they meaning the teachers. 
love watching the magic happen when we create circumstances for teachers and students to co-create amazing learning experience like this. The Oedipus Fest was powerful Socratic seminars that followed over 80 students in separate groups. So what was the role of the students and the value they received from the process of co-creation? First of all, I can't talk about the performers. The performers on stage were were made of two different groups. One was the slightly more experienced theater group who nevertheless were in their first quarter of learning in the IB. And for many of them, it was their first exposure in front of an audience. And um, the second group of students that made up the course of the play was uh, completely, I'm assuming they had no idea they were doing this even, uh, a language and literature class, uh, IB year one who um, were just the lucky ones. They were chosen ones to be put on stage to act as a Greek chorus. I remember myself uh, repeating to them again and again uh, in classical times, you would have been soldiers, you would have been warriors, you would have been off fighting wars for your country and coming back, you would have served, you would have had the honor to serve as chorus to your city, to address the big questions hand in hand with your co-warriors in front of your communities. Did they realize that? Do they? I feel, I feel that uh, unsuspecting as they walked into this and feeling that, you know, it can't be that hard mm-hmm. to stand next to each other and uh, and say some lines in unison. I think that as the performance, as the pressure of the performance came near and, and tension started building up, they started understanding real coexistence and real codependence and what it means to fight shoulder to shoulder to And that's conscious citizenship. And being uh, aware of the person that's next exactly. to you. Exactly. And I think that act of staging and especially staging it with an unsuspected uh, cast, mm-hmm. uh, a cast that is not trained for that, especially that makes it even more authentic how conscious, the conscious part of citizenship has to come to the forefront for the act of citizenship to be completed. International schools value the plurality and richness of languages. In ACS Athens, we're fortunate and happy to host students from over 60 nationalities and cultures. How does a play like Oedipus serve the purpose of diversity and inclusion we want to promote? For starters, okay, it's an ancient Greek play that uh, is staged in an American school, in the American international school. It's very important. If we're talking about, first of all, Western audiences, that this is the very foundation of Western civilization. But then, of course, we have students that are not part of this Western civilization. And the thing is, we had uh, a discussion with uh, Dr. Karabelas, who, of course, knows a lot of things about AI and uh, its relation to conscious citizenship. And we were discussing that our approach to AI and the questions that we pose about AI philosophically, existentially, epistemologically are very different from the questions that non-Western people pose. And this is very important. And this is something we want to cultivate in this school, which is a counter argument here. Yes, we may see a great catastrophe or a great opportunity. How another culture approaches the same issue? What they have to say about post-humanism? We're discussing post-humanism and transhumanism with Dr. Karabalas. And he told me that you know something, transhumanism merging with a machine, but from 
an anthropocentric perspective. I mean, what the machine can offer me, while post-humanism, based on other philosophies, non-Western kind of thinking, it's about how can I merge with the object? How can I coexist mm-hmm. with technology? How can I coexist with technology and nature and the environment? So there are many different perspectives out there, different perspectives from different culture, and staging a play like Oedipus Rex, that may be one of the foundations of Western civilization, is very important because you have to understand that Western mm-hmm. civilization is not the only civilization out there. And maybe the answer the philosophical, existential, and epistemological problems may not come from Western civilization, may come from other civilizations. So we have to coexist, all of us together, and start this discussion in the form of Socratic seminars, because Socratic seminars are used in our classrooms, in many different classrooms, and this is the best way to reach unexpected results. Can you briefly describe a Socratic seminar? A Socratic seminar is, okay, you have to have a question first of all. And the, the question is posed by? The question is posed by the teacher, okay, uh, who designs the seminar. And I've been advised by many of my colleagues here mm-hmm. that are experts in designing uh, Socratic seminars. Mr. Nelson is one of them. That the best questions are close-ended questions. Uh, questions that can be answered with a yes or a no because they can generate debate immediately. Because mm-hmm. I may answer yes, you may answer no then the real discussion can start. The whole idea of Socratic seminar and what differentiates it from a guided discussion is that uh, the teacher should not intervene. It's better not to intervene in the discussion. The facilitator is there to make sure that everybody is respectful of everybody else's opinions, that would take some time to reflect and think about what is said, but not in order to intervene or guide the outcome of the discussion. Mm-hmm. You leave it to the students. And of course, this is very empowering, I think. And I felt it with the students after the Socratic seminar, the sense of empowerment. So there's very simple rules to it from what I mm-hmm. understood. And it was the first time I, I realized this is something I had been doing. And then mm-hmm. I, I realized it was called the Socratic seminar. There's a very simple re- prerequisites to it. It it is an important thing to understand because, as you said, you leave behind the material that you have to cover. Mm -hmm. And in a sense, the material is being created by the students themselves. Mm -hmm. So you can take it from the other way around that, you know, you get a different source. So it's completely empowering them. And it's uh, magnificent to uh, witness when, as a teacher, you take a step back Mm -hmm. and you step out of the student conversation, immediately uh, students pick up the ball and, uh, and start passing it to one another. You are listening to The Owlcast, the official podcast of ACS Athens. We are talking with Ms. Sofia Thanopoulou, Drama Faculty of our Academy, and Dr. Evangelos Siropoulos, English Language Faculty in the Academy and Division Chair of Language and Literature at ACS Athens. Some of the topics today are Device Theater as a way for teenagers to explore their world, Inquiry Research Performance, the ideal project-based learning, Making Connections Among Disciplines, the IB Approach, finding the inspiration to go above and beyond, and 
having dinner with Obama, Pina Bausch, Stephen Sondheim, and drinking coffee with Sophocles. Let's go to theater. Theater studies and theater performance. It explores one of those mysterious attributes of the human soul that strives to communicate through physical expression. I have seen students who on stage are natural to the task, but I'm sure there are others who outside the theater are not what you'd call performers. <laughs> so they are shy, they're not expressing themselves. How can you inspire this burst of creativity to all students? Can this actually happen or do you still mm. see some resentment? Absolutely. And I don't know if you mean resistance there. That's another word. Absolutely. A lot of it. We start from the premise that this is, we're a school. This is happening in an educational setting and we're using theater as a tool for everybody's growth and advancement. I think it's really important from early on to remove that block of resistance, the quest for perfection. Long before people get onto the stage, when they go through a drama class, uh, they learn how to suppress their ego so they can merge with a group or boost their confidence so they can their voice can be equally heard. I uh, call this ego equalizing process. When okay. that has taken place, then we can start talking about coexistence on stage and we can start talking about expression of uh, individual voices on stage. Yes, teenagers are uh, naturally uh, burdened with the angst of growing and self-image and appearance. We strengthen that through their power of concentration onto the task. And believe me, when they learn to channel their energies onto uh, the message, the task, and when they feel that what they're saying is worth saying, then their worries about how they look and how they sound and whether they're performers or not are nobody's concern anymore. So can you share an example of students who, through the theater, they explore and discover themselves in unexpected ways? Totally. Absolutely. Devising theater okay. is a prime example of that, where we make plays from scratch. Last year, I remember we started exploring with the IB Theater senior class um, the rise of extreme right neo-fascist ideologies in Europe through... Uh, specific incidents that had gone in in Greece. That was a topic that got students so fired up, so uh, involved with topics of justice, with uh, equality. Their ideals, their, their teenage kind of uh, ideological sort of passion and flair took over to the point that um, suddenly students left with knowledge the unexpected knowledge that they had no idea. They went away knowing so much more about the judicial system and legal system of Greece and Europe. They went away knowing so much more about history than they ever thought they would. They went away knowing where they stand in society and what it means to be a passive observer and what it be what it is to be an activist, what to be what is a defender and what is what is a victim and what is not. Um, and how do you come out a survivor out of a story and not a plain victim? They strengthen their sense of identity by being called to be the channels of those messages that they so passionately believed in. And, and did you see a change in them after that? Absolutely. 
Absolutely. It's then that you start seeing people knowing where they want to be in life, hmm. starting those ideas about themselves, starting consolidating identity coming together and understanding. So this is who I am here and this is where I want to be next. And I want to say something very important here because this performance last year was uh, one of the aha moments that we had. And also we're working with Sophia on uh, Maria and Taz, uh, a small film performance piece that we did on the Von Trapp family and immigration to the United States and Ellis Island. And uh, we realized what you said, that students were learning so many things, not only about performance, but about history and about philosophy, using theoretical perspectives. And we asked each other, is this project-based learning? <laughs> is this PBL? So what we started doing this year, organizing it with the performance and the Socratic seminars, what it is actually performance-based and inquiry-based learning, it's exactly a model for introducing project-based learning. We have project-based learning in the school, but we try to create interdisciplinary uh, it has to projects. Be meaningful. It has to be meaningful, exactly, mm. Mm. and empowering. And of course, our students manage to combine the curriculum okay that they're being taught with something that is project based which is i think is amazing well you're bringing me to my next question mm-hmm. dr siropoulos because you are what we might say a multi interdisciplinary educator uh, you have taught language and literature of course <laughs> this year you're also the division chair for language and literature for the entire school but you've also done ib theory of knowledge a capstone course mm-hmm. um, and you have taught film writing and production yes So how can someone combine these disciplines and do you expose students to renaissance man to (laughs) expose students to various themes while teaching either one of these topics? I also have a PhD in musical theater. (laughs) (laughs) A true renaissance man. Uh, Listen, right now we go back to this ideal of renaissance man because what happened after the renaissance, we had this compartmentalization of knowledge because with the enlightenment... Specialization. Specialization. Right now, I think we're the post-specialization We're going moment. back to panepistemia, right? Exactly, exactly. That's why you have this insistence on uh, interdisciplinary mm. knowledge. You have to be able to combine disciplines. IB is obsessed with this, and they're right. They're right how you make connections between disciplines. So for me, I, I had interdisciplinary training, I think, studying uh, language and literature in uh, the 90s. Uh, it was the time where, you know, theory came out and you have all of a sudden to be, while we're studying drama or literature, to be exposed to psychoanalysis, to economic theory and Marxism and uh, philosophy and deconstruction and semiotics. And it seemed that every teacher, every professor had their own specialization in theory or philosophy or whatever. So I was educated in an environment where all of these things came together while I was analyzing literature. And that's what I'm trying to bring to my classes as well, because since interdisciplinary learning is a big thing here in our school and in education and later in general, the best thing that you can do is you combine things, combine different perspectives uh, and expose students to different perspectives. So to help them, you know, find their own passions and their own interests. And can I add to that, having worked with you, uh, 
the last few months uh, and having gotten to know you a little closer, I think what John is asking here is like he's trying to tap into this incredible synthesizing ability you have. Because yeah. having followed you around a little bit, um, it is the same authentic mind that you bring into every room you walk in. And, uh, and I think what brings together all of these loose ends, as you say, is John is 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 his incredible ability to make sense of opposite things, different things combined, and find commonalities and and create pathways. Well, uh, if nothing else, I mean, the actual mission of a school is not to convey knowledge, to create. Is to create. So if you don't go up to that point of synthesizing exactly. and it's create something new, something's not <laughs> fitting together. And what about architecture? I mean, we're talking about architects of their own learning, our <laughs> students. What is architecture is not a meaningful synthesis. That's exactly. it. That's so right. the synthetic ability is something that you have to teach early on in order for them to be able to synthesize. And I remember Dave Nelson, when, when we first presented this uh, Socratic seminar mm -hmm. performance model to him, said, great, I want us moved up that Bloom's taxonomy straight yeah. right? to the top. Straight to the top, to the creation. To the creation. Right. And, yes. uh, and I think that's something that that's where your synthetic synthesizing mm -hmm. ability came into play uh, in a grand way. And uh, I think that's what set the bar so high for the questions to be created. I think first. everybody has a bar that needs to go above. And if everybody creates knowledge, then there's no stopping. Yeah. Exactly. So, Ms. Tanopoulou, you've been in our school since 2007. And since then, you have worked in the development of the curriculum for middle school and academy drama and the syllabus for IB theater. Um, we have seen you direct at 18 full-scale student productions, wow. maybe more, as well as numerous smaller performance projects. We have also seen you be relentless in the dress rehearsals, <laughs> as all theater directors should be. And the saying is... Intimidating. And the saying is, oh, no. don't talk to Sophia today, she's rehearsing. <laughs> <laughs> just, just kidding. Uh, but it might be true. No, it's true, know. it's true. So can you take us briefly through your journey from participating in the opening of the Athens 2004 Olympics to <gasps> teaching middle school and high school students? Oh, my God. Briefly. It's a long way. I'm going to be very brief. <laughs> or maybe what stayed with you from that experience that you took it down to the uh, education of middle school and high school students? Wow. You bring back uh, crazy memories because 2004. It was a crazy era. It was. And 2004, except, you know, what it meant, I think, for Greece and the globe, but was the first year of my teaching in London in an inner city school in London where I remember uh, vividly crying myself to sleep every night and every morning waking up and going back to work to work with these incredibly difficult populations and um, trying to convince them to do drama. Then I flew to Greece for 2004's opening ceremony rehearsals and, and I was so lucky to be part of something so big and so collective. And What so was your role? Great role for a dancer, a friend said, because I was playing a statue. <laughs> <laughs> Which one? A cariatis in the classics. Interesting. I was a cariatis in the classics. Uh, in, on the classics wagon, and I think it was like the front left uh, <laughs> corner of the building. <laughs> Not the one that's missing. <laughs> that's what no. I want to ask. <laughs> Not the stolen one, no. <laughs> 
but it was in London in those inner city schools that I I grew determined and and I realized I discovered my true love for education and uh, what makes me what makes me tick. Uh, what makes me wake up in the morning, and that was the students' faces, the connections I started building immediately with kids, my determination for them to become better at just life, mm-hmm. and uh, the incredible power of drama and theater to educate the whole person socially, emotionally, civically, and physically. And I made that my life's task. I don't think I've wavered for one day since. Teaching got gradually easier. And when I landed at ACS in 2007, it was heaven. I was given all the creative freedom I wanted. I was able to bring to life my own baby, which was which was essentially our drama courses for middle school and, and academy to build uh, the theater program. And I'm not done. Still got a lot of work to do with that. And I was, I found myself in this environment that, you know, every seed you planted grew. So I count myself as incredibly, immensely lucky. I was, mm-hmm. uh, last 15 years, I've been uh, given license to play. And the journey goes on. Oh, yeah. I haven't yeah. even started yet. Yeah. So it's more than evident to me and I guess our listeners that you are both passionate in what you do and that does not stem from just knowledge or university studies, or even experience. Uh, We had the chance to talk over the years, and our discussions are not typical five-minute ones. Never. So I've seen you both in and out of the media studio, preparing for performances, projects, and creativity is overflowing. Where do you draw your inspiration, your drive to seek more than it is required? Everywhere. Everywhere there is. Do you have a role model, maybe? in your mind oh god <laughs> for me it was an educator obviously uh, and i think educators only are strong role models i believe i mean for me it, it i am a lifelong learner i mean learning is something that uh, impassions me uh, and whatever as sophia said whatever happens around me it's an opportunity for learning for inquiry asking questions and finding answers. So that's where I find inspiration from, I think. Mm -hmm. I have to say, though, back in uh, 2006, when I was about to move to Greece, I remember asking intensely for the gods, fate, to send me a teacher. And then uh, less than a year later, I was interviewed by Steve Madeiros and the principal's office in the academy. In who, the same who was theater, a big theater fan? Who was not only a big theater fan, but it was an incredible theater teacher and literature teacher. And for me, the teacher of all teachers, at least here at ACS, to him I owe every piece of my growth in my teaching practice. In the same year, I met my dance teacher, Miss mm-hmm. Nena Papagiorgiou, an iconic uh, symbol in the dance world of the last... 40, 50 years in Greece, um, who taught me improvisation. And um, with these two people on my shoulders, I take every step. And I have found in every work I make, they're watching me. Mm-hmm. Steve is watching me from where he is, and, and Nana is watching me in my mind. They're my ideal audience. And to them I owe, and to them I mm-hmm. dedicate a lot of what I do. So as we are looking forward to the year that is already underway, um, what should we look forward to from you and your classes 
How are you planning to amaze us? We're, we're not, not done. <laughs> okay, we're not done, obviously. <laughs> we're just beginning. Oh, come on, it's only but, October. Uh, we're not allowed to reveal anything right now, but definitely there sneak is... Sneak peek. Sneak peek, okay. Sneak peek. There is a big event for the end of the year, okay. for May, and we're thinking for something about mid-year as well. So two mm-hmm. large-scale events, uh, yeah. Within the academic year, we're still looking. We're definitely looking for another collaboration between literature and theater. Yes, absolutely, there is a lot to do with mm-hmm. that. We're thinking of bringing uh, kind of the whole experience, expanding it, see how that might take root in the middle school even. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're thinking of establishing different collaborations with an untapped uh, corners of the campus, like the media studio, for example. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, wrapping it up. If you had a chance to have dinner with two people, two people, it doesn't matter when these people lived or what they did. Who were these people for you? Each one of you. It could be from dance. It could be from theater, from language, from literature, from music theater. Mm. All right. I'd invite. I can start. Okay, start. I'm sure there's more. Yeah. But somehow my subconscious chose these two for now. Chose Barack Obama as one. I would love to just sit and listen to this person talk humanity. And uh, the other one would have been Pina Bausch, the inventor of dance theater in Europe and the biggest creative role model that I have had throughout all of my years, um, just to be in her aura. I'm trying to figure out the discussion between the three of you. Barack Obama, Pina Bausch and myself. I promise I wouldn't be the one to do the talking. (laughs) (laughs) You'll be listening. No, I'm pretty sure you have a lot to say, Dr. Sopolis. Okay, I think one of the people I'd like to meet is Sophocles. And this became personal right now because I'm teaching Oedipus for so many years. And I'm trying to communicate to my students what it means to be a creator, what it means to want to face the problems that your society is facing and have an opinion and educate your fellow citizens. So whenever we talk about Sophocles, I start, I am Sophocles. Drinking my coffee Sunday morning in Athens and thinking, okay, what should I talk about? So I've said that so many times to the point that uh, I'm asking, who am I? You're Sophocles. So there are so many <laughs> And what do you jokes do? You're and drinking drugs. coffee. You're drinking middle. coffee and thinking, what am I going to write next? Sage uh, tea. So that's one. What's so the that's second? one for sure, Sophocles, because especially after Socratic seminars and the things that we discussed this year, I definitely want to pick his mind and uh, on artificial intelligence. And the other, I think it's another person from theater. It's Stephen Sondheim, who recently died. And he is the father, let's say, of the modern musical. I mean, the kind of musical theater that tries to bring together what is considered to be serious, in quotation marks, drama and uh, the tradition of the Broadway musical and Broadway entertainment. He's a pioneer in so many ways. Uh, Even the IB included him in the recommended writers for literature, Stephen Sondheim. Imagine the talk between the two. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. (laughs) And, and, And then you bring all the four of them together <laughs> and it's all and true, right? a great so discussion yeah. so Mr. Nopoulou Dr. Siropoulos thank you so much for being here I have so many more questions we're probably going to have another session of this but you, uh, I think for now uh, that was so pretty much. not just interesting I think it's exciting to hear you both talk thank you so much thank you John thank you thank you John you are listening to the Owlcast the official podcast of ACS Athens 
make sure you subscribe to the Allcast on Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. This has been a production of the ACS Athens Media Studio. Thank you.